I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Before we begin tonight's podcast, a full disclaimer here. Rick and I taped this podcast on Tuesday afternoon before some uh, major stories broke. First of all, the Stu Sternberg apology for announcing a sign that's going to go up in right field during the playoffs, or was going to, uh, touting their two-city plan for Montreal and Tampa Bay. Rick and I, at the end of the podcast, get into a discussion about that. Of course, we spoke before knowing that he was going to issue an apology and say they're not going to put up the sign. But we decided to keep the conversation in the podcast because we thought it was a really good conversation on the topic of uh, what had happened over the weekend as the Rays clinched the American League East and the Rays then made that announcement. So that is still in the podcast. Also, Rick's story about TB12. He spent a lot of time with Alex Guerrero and Tom Brady. Uh, That story came out after we recorded this podcast. So if you haven't read that story, check it out on tampabay.com. You can also check out Mark Topkin's story on Stu Sternberg's apology and not uh, putting up the sign during the playoffs saying it was the wrong time and and he made a mistake and, um, you know, basically asked, uh, you know, to say, hey, you know, this is on me. I, I made a mistake. So anyway. Those, those news stories came out after we recorded the podcast, uh, but we did leave some of those conversations in, even though some of the, the, the details have changed. But we wanted you to know that before you listen to the podcast. So without further ado. All right. So maybe Richard Sherman will be their next cornerback after all. You know, I said after the game that maybe the smartest thing they could do was invite him back on the team plane. Well, apparently they waited a day and he flew in. On Tuesday, now as we're doing this podcast, we don't know the outcome. A couple things about Richard Sherman that might make this difficult. And again, we're we're taping this before we we probably know the rest of the story, but he represents himself. He's his own agent. And when when you talk to people that negotiate these kinds of deals, that can be tricky because um you know, there's a reason why players get agents and it's not just to pay them a percentage of the cut. It's it's because um you have to come up with a value for each player and it's hard sometimes to tell somebody face-to-face, hey, we don't think you're this, we think you're that, right? And at this stage of your career, we think this. So um, this is what I know about Richard Sherman. He's looking for some money. He's looking for a a good bundle of of money for a 33-year-old. I think he's a 33-year-old cornerback. Um, And he's got leverage. Uh, There are several teams, including his former team, the 49ers, the Seahawks, and right here in the NFC South, the New Orleans Saints. I'll bet you Sean Payton is not thrilled that right down the street, uh, from New Orleans, so to speak, Richard Sherman's in the building over at the Advent Health Care Center. So, Steve Ersing, I, I think a couple things about this. If Sherman signs with the Bucks, and let's face it, Tom Brady's going to be the biggest influence on this, right? I mean, money money will ultimately decide it, but Brady is going to do everything and probably has to push the Bucks to get him in here. Um, but assuming he does, you have to be you have to be cognizant of a few things. Uh, one. Uh, he hasn't played football in a little bit. Uh, you know, he I hear he's in good shape. He's down to 195 pounds. He was injured a year ago, obviously. Um, came back off that injury. Uh, you know, y- you know he knows the game, but does he know this defense? He's played so much that he could probably adapt pretty quickly. The other thing is if you sign him, you're committing to him. And what I mean is you're committing him to him as your as your number two corner. You'll have Carlton Davis. You'll have Richard Sherman. And everybody else will work around those guys. And so when Sean Murphy Bunting comes back, let's say it's in three weeks or four weeks, um, he is typically your number two corner. Now he is your third guy, which means he's still on the field a lot as your slot corner. It's not like he's not going to play. And maybe Sherman doesn't play every snap. But, you know, whether he's good, bad, or indifferent, I mean, you're sort of saying we're paying you like a starter. We expect you to start. And I think he'd have an intangible effect on that young secondary. You know, those guys, for whatever reason, still have some communication issues, um, you know, off to not a great start. A guy like Sherman, and I saw this sort of like with Darrell Rivas, and I'm not comparing the two because I think Rivas was a better player at that stage than Sherman is now. Um, but, but 
Darrell Rivas was coming off a torn ACL, and he was here one year. They paid him $16 million. And the calmness which which, which with he plays um, was sort of transferred to the other corners. You know, think about playing defensive back in such a high-pressure position that sometimes you're in position and then you panic. Um, if you just, you know, not get too wound up when the ball's in the air, um, continue your technique, things usually work out. And there was a calmness about the way Darrell Rivas played the game. Um, I think that's true about Sherman, who's, who's very animated, obviously, and, 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 and makes plays, but he's so confident in his own abilities and his technique. His technique is, you know, is perfect. And so if he can sort of translate that to the other players that, look, rely on your technique, rely on the film study, you know, here's how you become a pro. These guys are still back there becoming pros. I mean, Carlton Davis is the oldest guy they got in essence. And, you know, he's only in his fourth season. So a guy like Sherman, I think, would have some intangible benefits to the entire defense and to the team. And let's face it, he's not going to go somewhere where he doesn't think he can win a ring. Those teams I mentioned are all contenders, I believe. Um, but it'll be really, it'll be interesting. It's, uh, you know, again, this this may be done by the time you hear this podcast, but I'm not surprised that they brought him. I think Brady and others watched that game and said, you know, if we're going to beat the Rams and if we get somebody else hurt, it reminds me a lot of Antonio Brown a year ago. You know, they went to Chicago. Mike Evans played but shouldn't have. He was totally ineffective. Um, they're playing guys like J- Jadon Mickens and, you know, these kind of guys. Um, I think even, you know, Chris Godwin was banged up. Scotty Miller was banged up. And they said, look, one more injury and we don't have any receivers. This isn't going to work. So they made the they, they went ahead and signed Antonio Brown, not because they didn't have good receivers, but because they were going for a Super Bowl. And I think the same is true here is that you can bank on the young players if you want to, but if you get another injury or two, there's not going to be a guy like Joe Sherman on the street. There rarely is anyway. So uh, again, I don't know what he'll, how much he can play, how good he is at this stage of his career. Um, but I can imagine that Brady and others were saying, go get this guy now. If we're going to see the Rams again, if we're going to see these teams like Dallas down the road, and Dallas looks like a playoff team with three really great receivers, we're going to need more than what we got in this room back here. I'm going to need to get the ball back. So I think that has a lot to do with what they're doing right now. And the interesting part, too, is, is one, he's a West Coast guy. Mm-hmm. He's from what, Compton, California, went to school at Stanford. He's played yeah. with the 49ers and the Seahawks. Yep, and those are two teams suiting him. Does he want to go to the East Coast? Right. You know, and, and granted, all those teams are Super Bowl contenders, but he's won a Super Bowl, and, and so you know, taking less money to go win a Super Bowl isn't necessarily what he might be looking for. No, we don't know no. that. You know, no. my guess is he's looking for the biggest payday. That's what I hear. And and you know, lifestyle could be part of that. West Coast compared to East Coast might affect mm-hmm. that. I'm speculating this because maybe he wants to try out the East Coast. Who knows? I, you know, right. I don't know that. I just know that you know, his life has been on the West Coast for the most part. The yeah. other thing I wonder, and you may not know this answer, but he had some off-the-field domestic issues this offseason. Yeah. Now, I know the felony charge has been dismissed. There's still four misdemeanors pending, I believe. Is the NFL going to take any action on this? And, and well, could, could there be – and I don't know if they've even done an investigation at this point, but – you know, could there be a chance he misses some games due to a suspension at some point? I mean, you could. I don't think it's likely. I heard Sherman on a podcast recently uh, within the last week. In fact, I think I listened to it on Saturday on my way to uh, Los Angeles. And basically, he was asked about where that situation stands. And he says, look, he goes, it's going to take at least until after the first of the year. You know, the mm-hmm. criminal justice system is backed up. Um these are misdemeanors. This is not a, you know, this is not like a high profile. I mean, he's a high profile person, but these are not serious charges in, in as much as no one was injured, et cetera. Um, you have a DUI that's probably the most problematic for him. And that's because in 2020, um, the league decided that a, a conviction of a DUI would carry a three game suspension. So, um, but, but a very few people actually get convic- convicted of DUIs the first time around. Um, usually, uh, you know, they'll, they'll plead it out to something else. Um, you know, if you accept responsibility and, and get some, uh, alcohol, uh, counseling and, and community service and things like that. So I don't know he's going to have a DUI conviction. Um, and then the rest of it, uh, you know, 
he, he's gone to counseling. He's done some things within his own life uh, to try to address what was a really awful moment that was captured on, you know, one of these doorbells um, that that are out there now that have the the uh, the cameras. But he he didn't make it sound when listening to him talk about it that that was an issue with his talks with any of the teams that. Mm-hmm. They all seem to be okay with it. They all seem to understand that, that if something happens, it'll be next year. And who knows if he plays next year, right? Mm-hmm. So I think I think they're going into it believing that he would be good for the entire season. If he's healthy, and, and you know that, that is a question, knowing he was hurt last year. Yeah. I think if the Bucks can sign him, it's a tremendous influence in that secondary. Absolutely. I mean, we've talked about Jason Pierre-Paul and Dominican Sue's presence to help guys like Vita Vea. Mm-hmm. And Levante David helping Devin White, and you know, you know, you go throughout the team. That the defensive backfield doesn't have a veteran, really. Nope. I mean, you know, there's guys th- third and fourth years, but they don't have that savvy veteran, the guy that's won a Super Bowl that at one point mm-hmm. is considered one of the best corners in the league. You know, I mean, there, you know, he's got, you know, he walks in that that DB room and everyone's everyone's perked up and listening, and and trying to to learn from him. You know, even if he's not quite what he was at his peak, um, the influence he can have in that secondary could be huge for the Bucks going down the stretch. Knowing that it's obvious, teams are attacking that secondary. They're not trying to run against the Bucks. Mm. They know what that front seven does. Mm-hmm. It's it's attack those DBs nonstop, and that's what that's what all three teams this year have been have tried to do to the Bucks. And and you know, so far, look at the results. You're not changing that. That's going to be the game plan for every team going in. New England's going to try the same thing this weekend. Yeah, they will. Now, the, you know, the one thing I'll say about New England is they don't have the playmakers, and mm-hmm. I think that's the first thing that's going to be obvious, that you have to understand of the three games they've played, hell, even, you know, I mean, for that matter, Calvin Ridley's a really good player for the Atlanta Falcons. Matt Ryan's a good quarterback. They had some guys uh, that, that could attack the Bucks as well, but really the first two weeks, not going to find a better receiving core than Dallas. Not going to find if it is you're going to, it's going to be the Los Angeles Rams who've added Deshaun Jackson as their number three. So really, the Bucks, the Rams, and the and uh, Dallas to me have the best group of of skill players on offense in the league. You could you could say Green Bay because of Aaron Rodgers, but really he has Adams and not much or not much else. You know he makes it go. Um, I guess you could say you know his running back is pretty good, um, but for the most part. If you're talking about the secondary, if you're talking about covering receivers and tight ends, I think Dallas and you know certainly uh, the Rams have uh, next to the Bucks probably mm-hmm. the best group of guys. And so when they play the Patriots, you know rookie quarterback, um, the guys around him aren't playing as well as they need to play to support him. He's doing a good job, and they're just not a team that can score a lot of points. Now they're going to muddy up the game. Uh, we've talked about this. They're going to find ways to to make Brady uncomfortable. They know him so well. I think the Bucks are going to have to run the ball. I know they're going to try to keep it out of Brady's hands because I think they go in knowing, hey, we're not going to score 30 points unless we get turnovers. And they're a very good defense. Um, but I, I don't think that this group of defensive backs will struggle quite as much as, as they did. And if they do make a mistake, it's probably not going to end up in the back of the end zone the way it did in Los Angeles. So – they're banking on that. They definitely have to play better. But you're exactly right, 100%. And there was questions about whether this secondary could grow up fast enough to get them to the Super Bowl and win it. It turns out they did. But they did so because the front seven, and particularly the, the down linemen, they could rush four and get home. This is what's hurting their secondary right now is those guys are not getting the quarterback on the ground. They've affected the passer. They batted a couple balls up in the air. Matt Ryan got pick sixes and that kind of thing. Um, they dropped an interception against the Rams, which would have absolutely changed the game with Jamel Dean. He's out now, but they need Shaq Barrett to be Shaq Barrett. They need, um, you know, Vita Vea and Dominican Sue to get the guy on the ground. They need Joe Tryon Sharinka to come in and, and start getting his first sacks. So until they can get a lot of pressure, really just rushing four, um, bringing blitzes and things just aren't working. I and mean, these teams are prepared. They're using a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, six, seven, sometimes eight-man protections. And so uh, the quarterbacks had time. And in this league, time is death if you got a, an NFL quarterback back there, particularly a guy like Matt Stafford. Maybe not so much again this week, but the veteran quarterbacks in this league like Dak Prescott and others, they're going to they're gonna rip you uh, if they have time. And, and they, I thought they did a better job against Dak actually affecting him than they did against Matthew Stafford. So 
it's got to get better on both sides, but no question. They need that leadership. They could use an experienced voice, not just on Sunday, but in the room, in the room where it happens, right, during the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, leading up and how to prepare, uh, how, to, how to, you know, improve your technique, all those things that Richard Sherman has brought to the teams he's played for uh, and, and knowing what it takes to win a Super Bowl. And I'm sure uh, Tom Brady, um, you know, will, will certainly – uh, embrace that on that side of the ball so he can get the ball back and do what he needs to do on offense. So, again, lots of pluses, some negatives. Uh, Sherman seems to be in better shape, down 195. Says he can run better than he did a year ago. We'll see. I don't think he'll be doing any 40s over there. I think this is mostly about, you know, check it out, meet the quarterback, see how bad you like uh, or see how much you like Tampa Bay, the head coach, all of that, uh, and then mostly go in there with um, – you know, go in there, go in there, and try to pound out the best deal you can get, which is weird. It's, it's these are hard. Mike Greenberg and those guys would tell you that it's hard to negotiate uh, with a player that represents himself. There's not many that do. Um, so that that'll be the litmus test. And it, and if he does get on a plane and leaves here, I think he's probably going to go to New Orleans or probably going to go uh, to another team rather quickly because, uh, like I said, there's a bit of a bidding war and there's just not many Richard Shermans around. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. All right, so we've got uh, lots of mailbag questions, including questions about the defense and the defensive backs. So let's get started. Right, we had a couple questions from Michael and Narenda, kind of about the same thing. And Narendra said, Bruce Arians was saying that the DBs on the team and practice squad are good enough, meaning they don't need to sign anyone. Will his attitude change if the Bucks go on a losing streak? Or does B.A. have too much trust on this practice squad players because they're on the reserve for a reason? Well, I mean, they signed a couple guys uh, in uh, Pierre Desir, Desir and Rashad Robinson um, that, that they kind of have experience with, either Todd Bowles or these guys are, are guys that have played in the league. So they're not... They're not right out of the box sort of rookie practice squad guys. They're guys that have played, um, particularly in in, uh, Robinson's case. So I think there's a history there where the coaches have a comfort level. And, you know, again, it's really hard to find guys off the street. Um, And these are guys off the street. You know, they they weren't in camps when, when the season began. So you look for people that are familiar with your scheme. You look for guys that have played before, that have been in the fire. Um, and, and so I think they have a pretty good confidence level, um, having had these guys in practice now for a little bit, a little bit of time, it's just who you want to go out there and play with. You know, it's, it's a thing about trust and a lot of times harder to go with young players. And sometimes you just want to go with the most experienced guy you can bring in. I, again, if they were so confident in those guys, they would not have brought in Richard Sherman. Okay. So. Remember that the job is to win a Super Bowl, but you do have a practice squad for a reason. Um, so many of these guys end up on the active roster at some point during the season, and you know it's it, they've expanded the number of, of players on that practice squad because of COVID, because of, of reasons like that that you might lose more starters than normal. And I, I think I think they've done their homework. I mean, I think most of the guys they put in can play, you know, and you know we've sort of we've seen that. And 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 yet, having said all that, this is not a training ground t- team. This is not a team where you want, you know, people to get their first experience in the NFL because it's the oldest team in the league, predominantly because of guys like Brady and Gronkowski. Um, but it's one that has won a Super Bowl, and you know they're trying to go for two. So, you know, that that's that's why it's 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 tough to do. Maybe a little easier to say. But I always go back on, you know, these coaches and these scouts evaluate these guys, and they don't just give these jobs away on the practice squad. I mean, first of all, you make like a quarter million dollars if you never play on the active roster. So these aren't these are highly coveted jobs. But, you know, one thing that was encouraging was a guy who hadn't played and played really well on Sunday was Dee Delaney. Dee Delaney had played like four or five snaps his entire career. He went out there and played like 50-something snaps and might have been, might have been that day their best corner. So – when you see things like that, you put your faith in, you know, in your evaluation and your development 
and and you say, I think we're going to be okay. Um, but again, you can't, you know, experience is something you have to earn. Uh, somebody has to put you on the field to get it. And I just think that this team is always going to lean towards people who have played versus not played. And that's why, you know, if you look at the makeup of their, even of their practice squad, they have a lot of guys that have experience and, you know, we'll see. Um, there's just not a lot of, not a lot of good starting corners that are just wandering around out there in the streets. I can tell you that. Well, Matt and Ellis both had asked about the same thing, and Matt had tweeted, while there's been a lot of concern about the Bucks' secondary, the Bucks' pass rush has only three had three sacks in three games from the same front seven as last year, albeit without JPP last game. Isn't this a greater concern in contributing to why the secondary is struggling? Well, I would say yes, because I, I think that, you know, there's two ways to affect a quarterback. The easiest way or the, or the best way is to put pressure on them, you know, in using your front four. I mean, you, you know, the more times you can just rush for and, and create or affect pressure for the quarterback, then the numbers are in your advantage, right? You rush four, you're dropping seven. Well, they only got five eligible, so you do the math, okay? If they've got five eligible, you got seven guys to cover them. Now if I have to rush five, I have one fewer guy to cover. So – you know, I, I think that those guys affecting the quarterback and getting them on the ground is going to be paramount. And they haven't done it, you know, for whatever reason. I mean, teams, you know, are, I think part of it, and this is just a theory of mine, because I remember back when um, the Bucks used to play Atlanta, you know, Gerald McCoy was one of those guys um, who had a great reputation in this league for sacking the quarterback and had a lot of sacks in his career. Uh, but when they would play Atlanta, you know, they, they would deliberately try to run stretch plays and, and, and perimeter stuff early in the game in particular because they wanted they wanted McCoy to get tired out. They wanted him to run laterally all over the field because what those guys want to do is get upfield and get, you know, into the A-gaps and try to get to the quarterback at the shortest path. So they would run the football and run tosses and run, you know, zone outside zones and things like that to try to tire out McCoy and it worked, you know, if they could gain a couple of first downs. And so then he wasn't as much a factor later in the game if they were behind and you had to throw. I think teams are doing the same thing now. Um, they, look, they see a couple of 350-pound defensive tackles inside there that you got to use four guys to block. And what better thing to do than to make them run sideline to sideline on every play? Uh, and then you got to substitute and now you're down to your, you know, your backups are in there. So, um, somehow Shaq Barrett has to turn into the Shaq Barrett that had 19 and a half sacks. You know, in the offseason, he talked about, I got goals, man. I got big goals. I'm talking not just defensive player of the year. I'm talking league MVP. Well, your league MVP is not sitting here in week four, going into week four with one sack. As, as many times as the other team has thrown. I mean, I think they've, what, they've had like close to 140 passes um, thrown on them in the first three weeks. Uh, that's a lot of dropbacks for one, two, oh, yeah, three sacks. Three. And only one by Barrett, one by Ndamukong Sue, and one by Will Golston, not noted as an elite pass rusher. So where is Joe Tryon Shawinka? Where, you know, JPP's hurt. Okay. Um, you need him back. Uh, and it doesn't look like you're going to get him, you know, against the Patriots. So then you're like, well, we could blitz. Why don't we blitz? Well, those blitzes aren't getting home either. These teams have watched film. They're max protecting. They're having eight-man protections at times, seven-man protections. You rarely see them with just five. And so they're prepared for these eight-gap blitzes, and they're throwing the ball quick. And, you know, and so you have to counterpunch. You know, that's what teams have done. They've made the adjustments. They're all trying. They know they have to beat the Bucks to go to a Super Bowl and win it. So, you know, they have good game plans. And now the question is, can your players adjust back? You know, can they um, – find ways to win even though you know they're having to be put in positions and do things they don't they don't normally want to do it's a great question i i think it's not chicken and the egg i think the rush has to affect the coverage it is true that if you play man man coverage and you lock down a receiver in man then it's true that that's going to give that rush an extra tick to get to the quarterback but this is not a team that's playing a ton of man coverage right now you know, they're really mixing it up. They're playing a lot of zone. They're trying to keep their eyes on the quarterback. And so, you know, they don't have those receivers sort of blanketed where the quarterback will pull the ball down because he doesn't see a window to throw to. 
they're seeing plenty of windows to throw to. And so the coverage has to be a little tighter. Um, you can you can mix it up. But when you're that thin, you know, when you're that thin on defensive back, let's say, you know, think about receivers. Are you, they bring in Deshaun Jackson, and he runs a go route, okay? And my got a corner out there playing man-to-man. Well, now he's just run 60 yards down the field, okay? Got to come back to the huddle. Well, guess what? Deshaun Jackson's out of the game. But they're going to bring in another guy who's ready to run his his deep route. But you got the same corner out there. So the more man coverage you play, the more you wear those guys out. But you need to be able to play it. But when you don't have – when your bench is now starting, right, guys like Ross Cockrell and stuff, how do you give these guys a blow? It, it becomes a little more problematic. So there's a lot of things that play into, you know, the success of a secondary or a defense. But I think, number one, nothing has changed with that. If you've got guys who can win at the line of scrimmage, get to the quarterback, get him off his spot, and hopefully get him on the ground, that's the best way to win in this league as a defense. And right now, they are last. You never want to be last at anything. They are last at maybe the biggest thing you can do on defense, which is sacking the quarterback. And and this is after a year where they had almost 50 sacks. So there's your there's your difference in your defense right there. And for that matter, a, a big proponent, a big reason why they're not playing well uh, in the secondary. All right, Craig had tweeted us. Craig in Vegas, of course. He said, "I was at the game Sunday, and I'm not going to blame the refs, but the glaring difference in calls, seven to one in favor of the Rams, was bad. Brady was horse collared and no call, and too many pick routes not called. Why are the Bucks not getting calls as the top team usually gets? The Gronk pass interference was a joke. Well, if they're going to call that." Pass interference on Gronk, they absolutely should have called it, um, you know, down there on the goal line when Cooper Cup scored because they they just completely missed that one. I mean, that was that was a more egregious pick play. It was really offensive pass interference, and and the corner couldn't even get out to Cup. I mean, when do you see Cup inside the twenty yard line open that much? So I would agree that they were inconsistent. Keep in mind. One other thing that the Bucks will have to deal with this year and all teams that they didn't have to deal with last year, that's the crowd. And, buddy, I want to tell you, those guys in the striped shirts, they're human. They're human and they're affected, they're affected by where they're calling games. It's just, it's just human nature. And you're not going to get the best calls on the road that you're maybe going to get at home for that reason. So, you know, uh, they don't want to, you know, they don't want to be escorted out of the building when the game is over. Now this week, I think the crew that's doing the the Patriots game has a reputation for throwing the least amount of flags, which means I think you're going to see plenty of hand fighting, plenty of, you know, things that are let go so that let the players play and decided on the field. That can be good or bad, but uh I I do think that you know, they didn't they didn't benefit from from all the calls maybe on Sunday. But this is a team from, from week one that has committed far too many penalties. Let's talk about the false starts, speaking of crowd noise, you know. I mean, you, you got guys that, you know, they brought in Wells one time as an extra defensive tackle. And they brought him in, Josh Wells, and he's in the game for two seconds. And the, before he even has a snap, he's got a false start. Well, damn it, Josh. I mean, you know, you're only going to be used about three or four plays a game. You think maybe you could get the scout, the snap count right? I mean, those are the sort of things that good teams don't do. And when you when you make those mistakes against a team like the Rams, or most teams, but certainly the Rams, it winds up costing you. They go three and out to start the game twice. You know, that's not how you can start games in this league. Uh, you know, you want to play from behind. You want to have no field position. You know, I think the first two times they took the ball, they were inside their 10-yard line. So um, all that stuff matters. The penalties matter. And this is a team that's, I think, one of the most penalized teams in the league after three weeks. That can't all be on the officials. Those are three different crews, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, clean it up. You thought you had it cleaned up last. And this this is another thing. It shows you last year was last year, right? After the Chicago game, no more penalties. Well, it's creeped its its ugly head back into this season. So, what, what game? You know, was the Rams game? Which game will be the one that we point to and say, "Hey, after that game, they 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 knocked off all the penalties." They need to do it soon. All right, Michael had tweeted said after three games, the Bucks are thirty first in rushing yards. Should the Bucks be concerned about the lack of production? No question. Bottom line business, production business, right? Um, you chose these running backs. You you you've got 
you know, guy like Rojo, Ronald Jones, and Leonard Fournette, playoff Lenny, Labardi Lenny, you signed him, you brought him back for $4.5 million. You, you know, you brought in Giovanni Bernard, um, who until last week really hadn't played all that much, third down back. Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn, you drafted two years ago in the second round, or was it the second round or third round? I'm sorry. Um, but still a pretty high draft pick for a running back. And frankly, none of them, zero of them are productive right now. Zero. Okay. Uh, you know, I think that they have to absolutely make a decision. I think they did this last year. They got to make a cognizant decision that you are going to commit to running the ball in terms of, you know, we're going to give this running game a chance. And that's easier said than done. Um, because, you know, it's sort of like they started the game out. You, st- you know, you start out and you run the ball on first down and you get two yards. Well, now you're second and eight. You know, you have to show production, you know, and that's on the offensive line. It's on the running backs. But I think the more you do it, the more you attempt runs, the better everybody gets a feel for the game. You know, it's an instinctive position. Um, those guys need attempts and they're splitting. Right now they're splitting the carries as it is sort of. And so no one's really getting going, you know. You you get a couple carries here, then you come off the next two series of somebody else's, then you come off. So however they do it, they they need more balance because Tom Brady's not going to make it through 17 games. Um, You know, Aaron Donald finally got to him. They had three sacks, about seven other hits. It's just not going to work throwing it 55 times. So I really do look for the Bucs to – to continue to to try to emphasize that balance that they need doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to get the ball to your playmakers because their best players are receivers and tight ends. I mean, that's who you want the ball in the hands of. And to do that, you want to throw it because your best player on the team is your quarterback. But you want to be able to also throw it when you want to throw it. And you want play action to work. And it, it works better if you can run the football. You know, when those linebackers have to honor that play fake and come downhill or they know that you're going to gash them, um, then the play action works better. So I think this is a week uh, where the Bucks would be wise to start recommitting themselves to some balance um, and, and hoping that they get the production, whether it's Ronald Jones, uh, whoever. If you've got you to give the ball to Keyshawn Vaughn, you're going to have to find somebody that can get you four yards of carry. And right now that's just not happening, and it's hard for offensive coordinators to beat their head against the wall and be second and eight and third and seven all day. They're just not going to do it. So, you know, it's another area. I appreciate the question. I think it's really important to run the ball in this league, uh, at least effectively when you want to do it and keep keep those defensive uh, linebackers and backs honest. And the Bucks got some good news on Giovanni Bernard on Tuesday. They did. Um, turns out he has a sprained MCL. Uh, that's a lot better than what it looked. It looked catastrophic, quite frankly, at first. Um, you know, Bruce Arians said that we'd see, you know, he was pretty sure after the game he was going to be okay. The knee seemed stable, um, but the MRIs confirmed that he was worried about some swelling or some things that might happen on the plane. I don't know if he's going to play this week. We'll know more on Wednesday. Wednesday's the day that you actually get an injury report. You see who's on the practice field. doesn't mean that Giovanni doesn't have to practice until Friday and he could still play. Um, but the overall news is good because that was one that you worried that, hey, you know, what if there's a ligament tear? What if he's out for the season? They don't really have a guy like him, and you saw his value as a pass catcher the other day. On the other side of the of the ball, uh, you know, the Patriots lost James White, and that's a serious, serious injury. So, you know, they, they've, they're down their playmaker at running back um, that can do it all, and those two guys are best friends. It's ironic that, you know, they're going to meet in this game, and neither one of them will probably be on the field, or there's a chance that neither one will be on the field on Sunday. So, Disappointing for them, but the good news is that uh looks like Bernard uh, will will be back for the Bucks probably sooner than later. All right, we'll wrap up with this. And Randall had two different questions. I'll do them one at a time. He says, which is weirder, John Gruden and the Raiders versus the Bucks in the Super Bowl or Evan Longoria and Scott Casimir with the Giants versus the Rays in the World Series? Well, I, I think it's Gruden only because, you know, imagine that career arc, right? You go from being the head coach of, of, of the Raiders – to almost going to a Super Bowl, we remember the the Tuck Rule game, all of that. Then you're traded, not not signed, but or fired, but traded from the Raiders to the Bucks, and then you lead that team to the Super Bowl against the team you just left, the Raiders. Very bizarre, very bizarre that you would 
you would coach the team you just left mm-hmm. in a Super Bowl and beat them. Now can you imagine, even though it's been years later, that he's back with the Raiders and playing the former Bucks team where there's a statue of you in, in, in the in the atrium and you're in their ring of honor and now you're going to try to turn the tables and say, you know, I tell you what, man, I owe you one. And and that's that's going to be – look, the Raiders are really good. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think they're going to go as far as their defense takes them. I think Derek Carr is playing great. I think, I think they have enough weapons uh, offensively. I don't know how long their defense will hold up. They're in a really tough division with you know Kansas City's in last place. That's not going to last for forever. You got Denver playing really really well. Um, obviously the Chargers look great. So, but it it would be to me you know as far as like Longoria and Kevin well, Casimir, I mean, that's the greatest player in Ray's history. That you're going it is. against. It is. Yeah, I mean, you but know, you can't diminish it, that. No, but if they'd have gone against Warren Sapp in a Super Bowl, I don't you know. I mean, again, I don't think Evan Longoria, he's at the very end of his career. Does he even play every day? I don't even know what his, what yeah, he, his status he play, is. He plays quite I mean, He's been hurt a couple times this year, so he's missed some games. So they he's brought in Bryant, season. right? Bryant Is Bryant playing the outfield from the Cubs? Is he playing third base? I don't even know. I haven't, I haven't looked at their the day-to-day lineup, but yeah. But it is the great. It is the face of your franchise. If you were doing the, you know, if you're doing a Mount Rushmore, who's the, you know, who's the one guy you'd have to have on the Rays Mount Rushmore? Well, it's Evan Longoria. But he's just one player. And he's not the same guy. So, you know, to me, it because Gruden went from the Raiders to the Bucks and beat them. If you were going to the Raiders and then beat the Bucks in a Super Bowl, that's that's ridiculous, right? That that just would never happen. Yeah, Longoria this year. Let's see, he's played uh, batting two seventy nine, thirteen homers, forty six ribbies. And he's missed some time with some injuries. It's a solid so. year, though. Yeah, no, he's with having the, a really with good the time year. he's missed. Yeah, no, he's having a good year. Uh, let me see if I see how many games he's played. Seventy five. Can, it looks can like. you imagine? You're the Giants and the Dodgers. You both are going to win a hundred games, and well, you get in. So that leads you. You you are good at segues here. I know. So Randall's next question: What's more impressive, two hundred win teams in the NL West, or potentially four ninety win teams in the AL East? Wow, what a great question. It's really hard to win 100, and it's even more rare if you get two in the same division. But I got to say, to me, it's the AL East. The balance of this division, we saw a scenario. I was listening on the radio the other day. um, Somebody said that it's possible, not likely, but possible you could have like three teams tying for a wild card. That's what we want. That's what we want. Yeah. Absolutely, but how crazy is that? Let's let Seattle go ahead and tie them too. Let Seattle get in there and <laughs> right. Know. But you could have three teams in the East, yeah, doing that. Toronto, the Yankees, and the Red Sox could be dead even <laughs> if certain things work out. Yeah, and like I said, let's might as well let Seattle and Oakland tie. Make it a five way tie. Let's just chaos. Absolutely, get some rest, all that stuff. But yeah, I I think I think the East has been really really interesting this year. It seems like everybody had a run. Right, the Red Sox jumped out. Had an incredible start. The Yankees went on that, what was it, 15? I don't know how many they 13, won in a 13 row. 13 in a row, I think. 13 they... in a row. And then they went through a terrible losing streak as well. Um, Red Sox had that as well. Blue and Jay, then Toronto. Jays were one of the hottest teams in baseball. They were so hot when the Rays were playing them just mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago, and now they kind of fallen off the map. So they all took turns sort of, like, oh, yeah, it's the Yankees. I think they're going to win it a bit. No, maybe not. Oh, it's the Red Sox. Gonna, no, maybe. Oh, watch out for the Blue Jays. Yeah. So they've all kind of had turns at it, and now it's going to come down to look the the Rays, the Rays could knock the Yankees out. They could, and and I would take some pleasure in that if I were the Rays. Like they don't need to win any They've more done games. Done it before, but boy, you could. I mean, and and I always say this: if you had your chance, if you don't want to see those guys again, knock. Here's your chance. Get rid of them now, and then you don't have to worry about Chapman in the ninth ninth inning. You know what I mean? Like just just Stanton getting hot. Just get them out now. Here's your here's your opportunity, mm-hmm. you know. Take a few games from them. Hope the, hope the other guys win, and then you'll be playing Boston, who I think would be a better. To me, between Boston, Toronto, well, I'm not sure. I mean, Toronto has a really good pitcher. Between, but they're bad. They're they're, well, they're Toronto's got good sick. starting pitching. They don't have the bullpen. They have a great bullpen. Neither does Boston. Now, Boston's bullpen's terrible, and they've the, lost. The Yankees people. haven't been very good either in their bullpen. I mean, that's well, that's not, what the race the late. race feast on bullpens. They do, and they could probably do well with all of them. Right now, like if we do this today, right now, I would say Boston would probably be the team you'd want to play. They have the worst pitching of all those teams. And, yeah. and if you just look at the runs allowed this year, you know, uh, Tampa Bay, the Yankees, Toronto are all within 10 runs of each other. 
Boston's about a hundred runs more, ninety more. Let's say, you know, they've. I mean, they've given up a ton more. The Yankees. What's surprising about the Yankees is how bad their offense is. We think of yeah. Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge and DJ LeMahieu and and that. There's only three teams, four teams, maybe in the American League that have scored less runs than the Yankees this year. Yeah, that's what's incredible. Because the Yankees, yeah. the Yankees pitching's been okay this year. Mm-hmm. It's their hitting that's failed them. I think when you when you have guys that don't set the table in front of those, you know, the, like mm-hmm. Stanton could go. Stan could go a month and just not really contribute much, yep. and then Judge Judge has been pretty consistent. But you know, they're the, chicks dig the long ball. I mean, if they're not hitting home runs and there aren't guys on in front of them, it doesn't matter. So they just don't have enough dudes. Um, but those two, you know, obviously are, are pretty formidable. But can I, you know, in a, in a series, can you pitch around some of the big bats? Like, I think that's what makes the race so strong. Is that hell? They got guys that come off the bench. I mean, those are days when Brandon Lau doesn't play. Doesn't play. Mm-hmm. Right? He's got 33 home runs or something like that. They sit Wander Franco. Yeah. They sit they Randy sit, Rosarina. Ro- Rosarina doesn't play. I mean, they sit Meadows. Med- Meadows doesn't play. And the, guy, I mean, the guy had 100 something RBIs. I mean, it's crazy, right? I mean, they got depth upon depth. You know, you can bring up Nelson Cruz as a pinch hitter. I mean, it's it's insane just, just you know, just sort of how they they get production up and down the lineup and even off the bench. So, I think that's what wins. You know, I think that's that's the Rays' special sauce is just the depth of their lineup. You get a guy on the IL that you're paying, you know, $30 million a year to, and he's no good to you. That changes that whole lineup, you know. And then if he's not hitting bombs, you know, the other thing I've thought about the Rays, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it seems like they struck out a hell of a lot less this year. I could be wrong about that. The second um, half of the season. Once, yeah. Once, particularly when Wander Franco got to the team, and you know yeah. he's on an amazing streak right now of, of very few forty strikeouts. something games. Yeah, with, yeah. On base. Well, he's uh, at, at in the, some point in the weekend he had had four strikeouts in his last one hundred and eight appear, plate appearances. Or something That's like sick. That. Yeah, I mean you know he you know he 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 struck out the first ten fifteen games. He struck out quite a bit, but yeah. once he got locked in, kind of around when they got Nelson Cruz, which yeah. added some more protection in the lineup, which meant they had to pitch to wander better. Yeah. First of all, but you know, as he got more experience, you know, we knew if you looked at him throughout the minors, he has great control of the strike zone, knows what a strike is, has great bat to ball skills. That you know, it was just a matter of time, and he's figured that part out. He doesn't strike out. He doesn't swing. He's he's had in this in this uh, consecutive streak of what is it, forty one, forty two games, whatever it is right now, of games in a row reaching base. He has more hits than swing and misses. That's crazy. It's That's like crazy. 52 hits to like 48 swing and misses, something like that's that. That's insane. It's, I mean, it's, it's approximate, but it's that's the stats accurate as far as more hits than swing and misses. That's like that's like it's small sample size, but that's like Tony Gwynn. You know what I mean? Like, and this that's is what those guys did. It's a 20 yeah. year old, but that's what those guys did. They barreled everything. Yeah. Their outs were loud. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But they never swung and missed much. It's just incredible. He's been so good. But, yeah, I think that if you look at, like, the stats for the season, the Rays are still one of the highest strikeouts. But if you look at, like, from the All-Star break on, they're more middle of the pack, not near the top. They just they, – early in the season, they struck out a ton. Yeah. No, I I think they've uh, they've they've got the lineup going. and You know, these last few games are going to be interesting to – you know, they, mm-hmm. they get a chance to win 100. They get a chance to clinch home field throughout the entire Well, playoffs. and by the time you hear this, we're recording it before Tuesday night's game in Houston. So right. they may have already clinched the best record in, in the American League if they get a win in Houston on Tuesday night. Which is so huge because I just remember a couple of years ago, you know, they they win game four and game – was it game four and game five? or Three, three and, and four, four. Three and four, three and four, and four five and, and they had to go back to Houston, which, of course, you know, I think they cheated, but – it's such a different, such a different dynamic. I mean, the trop was live. They were playing great. You just wonder if they had had home field advantage in that series. If they had, if they had closed it out. Speaking um, of Houston stealing signs, I did see a tweet, and I wish I could remember who to give credit to. But it said, "Houston, here's one more sign for you to steal," and it was a link to the Montreal sign that the Rays are putting up. <laughs> <in my field. laughs> I love it. Hey, that's a good segue too. That's a really good segue. Listen, I'll give you my, my one cent worth because if I gave you two cents, we'd be on too long. This is the dumbest thing that this ownership group has done, and they've done very few dumb things, in my opinion. Um, you know, 
they're they're trying to use the eyeballs and the attention of the nation of of being in the playoffs of being of having had this great season to sell a plan that I think I think is half cocked to begin with. I I, I don't I don't agree with it. I, I don't think it's going to I don't think it's going to work. I don't see I don't you know we can talk about Canada and how you you know the 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 nation, the provinces, all the things you got to go through in that country uh, much less the city of Montreal to get a stadium built. We know how difficult it's the pursuit has been here. The thought that you're going to do two of those, but what's really irritating and gulling to me is that you have a chance, you know, with the playoffs to, to have full buildings. And I know that's why they're doing it, but to have full buildings and a, a raucous crowd and all the, all the focus on where it should be. It should be on the players. These guys have battled. They're going to battle 162 games, win almost a hundred of them. Um, you know, best product three years in a row in the postseason, win the American League East back to back, all these things that are hard to do, that they deserve the attention. All of it. And what are they going to talk about when they're on the broadcast? They're going to show that damn sign in right field and that's what they want. And then you have the audacity, the the nerve to say, Oh, well, we you know, we want it to be a subtle. Subtle? What is subtle about saying you're trying to move a team at least part of the time to Montreal. I mean, this plan I think is not going to work. You've got the players association would have to sign on it. The owners would, I mean, there's so many long ways to go, but to use the, the attention of the postseason that these guys have earned, the spotlight should be on them and them alone in their pursuit of a world championship to use that um, to say, hey, look at us. We got a really good idea. Let's gain some momentum for this. You know, and it's all in perspective, right? They're, they're convinced that this is the way to save baseball in Tampa. Like, this is Tampa Bay. This is the way. This is the only way we're going to save it. Let's save baseball. Let's go to Montreal half the season and we can save baseball. No one sees it that way. I got news for you. Nobody's buying into that. Maybe some politicos now and again will say something like, well, you know, I'd rather have them half the time than that. No. No, no, no one in the fan base is saying this is a good idea. They don't want to lose their team because um, if you can move them there for half the games, guess what? You can move them there for all of the games, and everybody knows that. So, I, I, I just think it's tone deaf. I think, I think it's it's incredibly hypocritical, and I think it's a disservice to Kevin Cash and the players. Like, if you don't, if if you want to. You know, rub it in your fans' face that you're 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 wedded to this idea, and by God, this is your team, and this is your your time, and you're going to pitch this, and you don't care if anybody. But that's one thing, but to do it on the backs, on the backs of this ball club, which is the best maybe that you've ever had, and it's going to win the most games they've ever won, and and they're absolutely the you know have the best record in the American League, and they got a chance to go back to the World Series and win it, and and to make this the the the, the very fact that we're talking about it is wrong. You know, and short-sighted. And I, I think they really, you talk about a swing and miss. I mean, timing is everything in life. This is horrible. Well, and you can't take it back. Let me, let me play a little devil's advocate. And I don't disagree with what you've said. But from the Rays perspective, this sign is not meant for you or me or the fans of the Tampa Bay Rays or Montreal baseball fans or anybody else. It's meant for Hillsborough County Commissioners. St. Pete City Council, Tampa City Council, Montreal's whoever could get a stadium done up there. This sign is all about – it's targeted towards 20, 30, 40, 50 people. That's all that sign's for. The time, mean a, I mean, I, mean, I it's, understand. It's You're create, right. It's creating an urgency because I understand they have six years left in the trop after this season. If yeah, but they knew, that, they knew no. that at the start of the season. I know what no. you're saying, and I don't yeah. disagree with yeah. you. I, I they want they want to create urgency. They want right. to remind people that hey, mm-hmm. this is coming twenty twenty seven. That means we really need to be out of here by the end of next season. Really, by by you early twenty twenty three, you probably have to know what you're doing. At least I think yeah, I would which, say by the end of twenty twenty two. But, but I mean, whatever, you know. it's coming sooner than later, and and that's fine. But but to put it uh, you know in right field on the wall and have the nation you know the the, the I mean. I just think there's better ways to do it. I, I know I, why they're doing it from I don't, their perspective. Yeah. I don't disagree with you. I'm just saying from their perspective, 
what I thought oh, was they think the, it's an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I, well, and anytime you have a prime time, you know, nationwide audience and, and more mm-hmm. eyeballs on your product, including locally, more eyeballs. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's when you take advantage of opportunities in business. Now, whether this is the right thing to do, I, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, what I thought was really bad is why did you announce it on the day that you're going to clinch the AL East? Like you couldn't have announced it today, tomorrow. The playoffs were two weeks away. Did you have to announce it the date? Now, maybe you planned it a week in advance and didn't know you were going to clinch that day. But yeah. if you say you want to keep it, be subtle and keep it on the players, then why was the announcement the day that you had a shot to clinch the AL East? That seemed like they swung and missed there particularly. You know, I mean, because there was no difference whether you announced that on Tuesday, Wednesday. Why not? Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, that, that was, to me, was the the most glaring part of it was like they won the AL East, but the story was the billboard. Yeah, and that's wrong. Again, you can't say it's subtle if it's taking attention away from your team. There's nothing subtle about this. I mean, really, a sign. Well, but, but, Rick, you've been through stadium negotiations before. There's nothing subtle or well. Here's or what I would recommend. You know, you want to be subtle. Or, or yeah, you want you want that. I mean, you want that discourse. Here's what you do: back the moving vans up, put them right outside the trap. Start putting your equipment in them. I mean, really, that's look. You don't get a deal until you're until you're committed to going. Their problem is they have one. They have one major problem here. One really big problem. Where are they going to go? Where are they going to go? Now, they would tell you, well, we're trying to – we don't want to go. We're trying to save baseball in Tampa. We want to mm-hmm. find a solution, and the only solution we see is half a year, two-city solution. Okay, well, I'm not sure that works. Um, but if that's the only solution you see and you want to sell that, go for it. But, you know, at the end of the day, these stadium deals – I mean, look at look at what we're dealing with as the shortfalls that communities are dealing with after this pandemic – uh, whether you're talking about Hillsborough County and the schools, um, cities needing in dire need of 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 you know services. This this is as hard as it used to be to get stadium deals. This has to be the worst economy, the worst anything to try to carve this out. And I don't care where I don't care if you're talking about Charlotte or Las Vegas or any other place that really wants wants a team. Uh, it's not going to be easy there for them either because they got the same sort of needs uh, municipally. So. It, I don't know, man. It it just the clock is ticking louder. They're they've obviously not made the progress they need to make. Whether they're trying to sell this to Major League Baseball to the Players Association or Montreal, I don't know. Um, whether they're trying to to rattle, you know, the cages a little bit of the you know the people in Tampa Bay the, to to try to get moving on something, I don't know. But yeah, it's extor- it's a little bit of an extortionist move. It's sort of like, hey, you know, you know we're leaving, right? I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you. You know, if you don't, this is the plan. This is it. This is all we got. This is all I can. We got to get. We got to do something. Clock's ticking. There was a time when uh, we went to West Palm Beach, and there was an owners' meetings there, and Roger Goodell uh, was not commissioner, but he was in charge of the stadium deals. You know, they're trying to build stadiums all over the all over the country, and Goodell will tell this story where Glazer got up and he started tapping his watch and saying to the other owners and Roger, hey, man, we're running out of time. It's all about time. We're, our time is up. And, you know, and they believed it and they thought they had a deal in Baltimore and then, and then you know, Modell moved the Browns and that, that kind of hurt their leverage or hurt damaged their leverage incredibly. And they managed to pass a referendum and Rich McKay gets a lot of credit and they built that stadium but it wasn't until we were at, you know, watch tapping time that that deal came together. And that's unfortunately, you know, it's ticking louder for them, but we're not there yet. And we will be before long. I mean, certainly sooner than later, but I just don't think this, speaking of time, this is not the time for that. This is just, I think it's a, I think it's a shame for the players, for their fans, the ones that, you know, will, will try to fill that stadium. I almost think it's there's a part of me that that believes and I don't this is probably unfair but there's a part of me that believes that they for whatever reasons 
if if they didn't get big crowds these last years, like, and it's on the fans, and I'm not, but it's like they were okay with it. You know, how much marketing do you do? How much? And I'm not saying you throw good money after bad, but like, you know, even this feels like, well, if we tick off some fans and we don't get a sold out crowd for the playoffs, then that'll just prove our case. You're almost it's almost like a self fulfilling prophecy. We want so badly to show baseball doesn't work in St. Pete. Let's continue, you know, to make it not work in St. Pete. And, and I don't know that it's that diabolical or that somebody thought that far ahead or that it's, you know, they're trying to, you know, have empty seats in playoff games. But by gosh, um, if, you're, if you're a fan of this team, you have to consider, you know, if that's, if that's the ownership stance and he's putting it in my face in right field, do I really want to pay for a ticket to go watch him play in a playoff game? At least I would understand that if I were a fan. And it, it may wind up proving their point. So I don't know. That's that's more than my two cents. I guess I I said one cent, but I actually gave you probably about three. That was at least a nickel. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, we uh, we're going to close the podcast that way. Um, Matt Baker tomorrow. We'll talk some college football. Love it. Florida State's zero and four. Florida beat Tennessee. Mm-hmm. USF with a big comeback against BYU and it fell short, but. Some more positives coming out of that. Arrow so, uh, is up on USF plenty, and their quarterback. Plenty McLean. to talk about with Matt. Yeah, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of excited to see how USF follows that up. It won't be easy. I think they have SMU at SMU. That, yeah, that's not going to be easy either. So they're on, I think but, they're undefeated. But follow that up with a good performance, and you may, you're probably not going to win. But follow that up with a good solid performance, and don't just drop an egg. But you go out there and you play hard, and you 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 make it a game in the second half. And then I'll say, okay, this is turned. Because it could turn out that, that this quarterback might be the best one they've had um, in, in many years. And you start there, right? Mm-hmm. Quentin Flowers has been long gone. I'd like to see mm-hmm. them start fast. I mean, you know, Florida, they had a good second half. BYU, they yeah. came back in the second half. Let's see them put yeah. something together in the first half. Yeah, be competitive from the kickoff all, all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do that. That's the next step. So that'll be fun to watch. So Matt Baker tomorrow, a lot of college football talk. We'll keep you updated, of course. If he hasn't already signed with Richard Sherman, what's going on with the Bucks? Talk to Tom Brady uh, later this week. The Bucks begin preparations today for their reunion game uh, up there with Brady and Gronk. Is there something significant about this game on Sunday? I think a few people might be there and might have some interest, yes. I think it's Brady Palooza and Gronk and, and all those guys, and it's it's really going to be lit for a regular season game. I can't wait to see I like see Jake from Boston's billboard. Yeah, how about that? A lot of support for the GOAT up there. If you didn't see it, there's a billboard up near Gillette Stadium now. Mm-hmm. And I'm pulling it up. It says, quote, the Al is no longer wise without his GOAT. <laughs> Al capitalized with a, a kind of a skeleton-type figure in a hoodie and then a GOAT's head with number 12 on it for Tom Brady. Yep. Um, yeah, Jake in Boston had signed. So Undeniable that, uh, you know, that there is a huge – support of fans from from that area that wishes they'd have stuck with Brady and and um and of course they did not so we'll worry about Belichick uh answering those those calls I thought it was interesting uh, I'll get you out on that Stacy James who's a PR director for the New England Patriots you know we we asked when I say we but the media asked Stacy if there was a way and these have become optional but if there was a way that Bill Belichick you know given given the kind of game it is, would consider, even just sort of consider a, you know, a conference call with the writers of, of the teams down here. And, and essentially, Stacy James basically said he'd pass that along, but he goes, I have to tell you, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't lower all expectations. <laughs> and I thought, boy, that should be carved into the, into the PR uh, credo in the NFL is I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't lower your expectations. <laughs> it's it's incredible, right? I mean, and that that folks is the attitude of 2021 NFL when it comes to media these days. Unless you're paying the freight, unless you're working for one of the networks that's got the rights fees, they won't do their job unless they make sure you have no expectations that you'll do your job very well. And uh, I'm sorry, but, you know, those words kind of resonated with me of late. I'll get into more of that as the week goes on. But, yeah, that's uh, 
that was his stance. So anyway, lots to talk about tomorrow. Thanks for the questions. Uh, send them to us anytime. We'll do our mailbag every week, uh, and you don't have to wait for that. You can uh, hit us up at Sports Day TV. You can reach me at NFL Stroud. Or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. For Steve Ersnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.